Welcome back to You Gotta Meet Her podcast. I'm Christine Barr, and today we're going to be talking with John. John um, was a referral from one of the other men that we have talked to on the podcast. Um, as I was recording, I got some referrals and I put a, a search out on Facebook and John came through. His story is so good. I hope that you get so much from it as I did. I'm, I'm not excited. I'm elated that I have this person that was willing to be so honest and trustworthy of me to be able to ask the right questions and put him in a light that will help others down the line. I I cannot be any more grateful to him and his wife because there are things that we talk about that she she's a part of and it's part of her life and I wanted to make sure that I gave them the most respect possible for them to be able to tell um, the story of his life. Before we go into the podcast, I do want to say this. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. We will be talking about a lot of adult issues and trauma. Please do not listen to this podcast if it is inappropriate for the age of your child. I'm going to repeat that. If your children should not be hearing adult content, which if they're a child, they shouldn't be, but you know, you're you're the parent. You do what you need to do with your parents, you know, your kids. But we will be talking about a lot of adult content. Please, please do not allow little ears to hear this episode. They don't need to hear some of the things that we talk about. Okay, I think I stressed that. (laughs) The story is beautiful. The story is mouth-dropping, but at the same time, it it will touch your heart. Please meet John. All right, so today we're talking with John. John, tell us a little bit about you. Um, I'm, uh, I live in Texas. Uh, I currently going to school for cybersecurity analysis, computer programming. Wow. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm married with three kids. Oh, wow. Uh, um, how old are you? I'm 40. I just turned 44 a couple of days ago. Okay. Well, happy belated birthday. Well, um, you. what race and at, um, ethnicity background do you have? Um, I'm white. Um, I, as far as heritage, uh, I'm more Irish uh, and Dutch. Uh, I have some Blackfoot Indian. Um, and then uh, as far as background, I was born in Hawaii, uh, grew up a little bit in Missouri and been in Arlington, Texas most of my life. Wow. Um, anything. <laughs> okay, so um, let's back up. You were born in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So did you have a lot of Hawaiian influence, that indigenous lifestyle influence, or were you more into the Americanized version of Hawaii? Well, my dad was a Marine and okay. uh, we were stationed over there, um, even though I have a lot of memories of it. Um, I grew up in a very disciplined household um, where we didn't get to do a lot of social interaction with uh, the natives. Um so I can't really say, I, I guess I was raised 
more to our our standards now compared to what what I remember of Hawaiian natives. Yeah, yeah. And then you guys still moved because he was a Marine. You moved around. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Moved around. yeah. That that makes sense because I know talking with a lot of the women in in men too, that have parents that are more nomadic, right? They learn to kind of disconnect from what world that they're in. They can make a friend really easily, but they learn not to keep things close. Have you experienced that? Or were you as a child? Yes. Yes. I I grew up not really ever having friends. Um, I mean, I I grew up in a house where we moved sometimes every year, sometimes a couple times a year. Wow. You know, I remember one time in elementary school, I moved uh, three times in one year. So it was hard to make friends and keep friends. Yeah. Yeah. How does that affect you now? Uh, I don't have any friends. Um, really? The, the few friends that I would call friends are more acquaintances. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't really call each other we, unless there's something one of us needs for something. And then, you know, but they're not, I don't, I don't socialize with people because, you know, I just... It, it, it has affected me. Yeah. It's the few friends that I used to have that I grew up um, from the mid-teen age when I moved to Arlington, um, they're all dead now. But we were friends all the way up until they died. Yeah. You know, when I do find a friend, I usually keep them for life yeah. unless something happens. Right, right. And how long have you been in Arlington? I moved to Arlington in 87. Oh, and, um, okay. Yeah. Okay. So do you consider Arlington home? Um, no, actually, uh, even though that's where I spent most of my time, um, mm-hmm. I'd say uh, Grandview, Texas is what I would consider home. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it, it's a small town where I live now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just south of Arlington, uh, about 45 minutes. And uh, it's a town about 3000 people and it's peaceful. It's quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been here since 04. So okay. This is, this is home to me now because, yeah. you know. Yeah. So why did you choose Grandview over Arlington as your home? Like what, what was the distinctive features of it that made you feel more at home? It wasn't a really no choice of mine. Um, so that goes back to a whole lot of history. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I could go back that far if you want me to. Yeah, um, go ahead. We got so, time. So in November of 2001, my brother died and I blame myself for his death. Well, I had a nice thriving business, um, but I uh, remember I told him my dad was a Marine. I came into my mom and dad's house and I heard my dad tell my mom that he wished it was me that died, not my brother, because he was the good son. And that hurt me. So I had left um, Arlington and I moved down to my lake house down on Lake Whitney and uh Anyways, I uh, tried to commit suicide a couple times, um, tried to o- drug overdose, got introduced to some pretty hard drugs, tried to overdose through doing that stuff. Um, didn't work out. God had better plans for me. And um, anyways, I, uh, I got uh, in trouble with the law a little bit down there. And then my nephew, um, it was all drug related. Uh, my nephew basically came down and picked me up and brought me to a little town called Grandview, which my parents had built a house here and to be closer they basically Arlington and Whitney Grandview is halfway between the two. Okay. So they want to be, they want to be closer to me. So I built a house here. And then of course <clears throat> I, um, I moved in with them to try to get my life right and get clean and straight. And, uh, I just never left here. And, uh, I'm 
have no interest in going back to Arlington because, you know, that's just, uh, it's just not the same. And in Whitney, I stay away from there because all my bad history is there. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to unpack. I have a couple of questions I wanted to ask you. What made your father feel like you were the bad son? My brother joined the Marine Corps behind my dad and followed in his footsteps. Um, For me, I was always a rebellious one. And when he, uh, when he asked me to join, I told him, well, actually my mother asked me not to, but I told him, no, I was not going to join. Mm -hmm. Um, Honey, I'm on a podcast. If you're nude, don't come this way. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. We might edit that part out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyways. um, So that's that's what got me to come to Grandview and then uh I met the beautiful woman that I'm with now and um we ended up having children and didn't we ended up getting married and having children and we bought a house here and we are established here in the community and um yeah that's what got me here to Grandview yeah my um my other question I wanted to ask was you said your nephew went down to Mm -hmm. the house to come and get you right yes yes okay so why your nephew like were you close with him was it his mother so so my nephew and I are are like brothers my parents raised him for the first my sister got pregnant at a very very young age okay and my parents raised him as their own until he was five to six years old and then so we're like brothers um and when I got in trouble down there he was the first person I called and uh told him what was going on and he said that he'd already known that he the DEA had been in touch with him and stuff and then um from there you know I said this is what I need and he says I want to help you get clean but I'm only going to spend an hour at your house and uh he did he brought some buddies we packed up some stuff um brought it back left cars and boats and trucks brand all you know I had $80,000 three brand new $80,000 trucks sitting in my driveway all left um just you know I, would I change any of it? Absolutely not. Because where God has brought me to now compared to where I was at then, um, you know, it just tells me God's got plans for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the DEA was involved and you had three $80, $80,000 toys, mm-hmm. were you doing some big stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got a business mind though, huh? Uh, very much so. Yeah. I get it. Okay. Um, we'll move on from that. Thank you so much for sharing that because I know that when we open up, this might help somebody else. Absolutely. Right. Um, would you, would you tell someone else to do what your nephew did for you? Or would you say, wait for them to ask for help? That is a hard question because the person's got to be, I've been drug and alcohol free since January of 2006. Mm -hmm. When I moved to Grandview in 04, I relapsed twice. Now, to answer your question, the person has to be ready. And if they're not ready, they'll never get their life right. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a a catch-22 question because the person has to be ready. If the person's ready and they're at the bottom of their life and just ready to end it all, then that's where you intervene. If they're still partying and doing their thing and they're thinking everything's fine, they're never going to want to change. I mean, in my opinion, I was on top of the world. I had different women every day. I had cars, trucks. I mean, I was making 60 grand a month. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it just, 
I had everything until the DEA raided me twice mm-hmm. in the same weekend. Yeah. So, you know, it, um, and then it all backfired. And uh, now I live a normal, simple little life of raising children and uh, going to church, of all things. Yeah. Most people, most people were, didn't know me from then look at me now and they can't believe they they're just like i thought you'd be dead or in prison yeah and, yeah i don't know so. i i totally understand that i totally get that um again thank you so much for sharing that i i also believe that that mentality of the person needs to be ready goes across so many categories would you agree absolutely yeah and so i i don't think it's necessarily it's that lifestyle, whatever lifestyle mm-hmm. that's bringing them down in whatever category, Yeah, you know, it has to, it has to kind of like, they have to be ready to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and truly I will say it's hard to get out of it. Um, you know, I, for an example, when my parents died three years ago, this is in 2017, I got phone calls from people that were associated with certain groups that I won't dis- disclose on here, but phone calls from people telling me they're sorry to hear about my mom and dad and how these people um, come to know that my parents had died just that day or the day before. That's scary to me, you know? So sometimes you can get out, but you're never really out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it just, I, I'm pretty much left alone because I know that I'm not a threat and that I do do right by my wife and my children and that I don't live that life. You know? Um, Okay. So question just popped in my head. Um, if you don't know, my, my, my husband had a gambling problem. Um, it was part of the reason why we went to, to boot camp the first, uh, the, the marriage boot camp part. Right. Mm-hmm. And for someone that has never been with someone that had an addict or a problem, how, from your words or your perspective, your friends are always like, you can't be with that person. They're not good. They're, you know, once an addict, always an addict, this, this, and this, and this. And it's so hard. Like when your wife came into it, what did you have to do or show in order to make her feel comfortable in that relationship? Well, I don't, I don't want to put her out, but I'm going to hear. So when me and my wife first met, it was because of drugs. Okay. Um, so it wasn't until till we were at a certain place and doing some business and uh one of the captains for this um association um told me he was going to buy the woman that was sitting with me and wanted to know how much she cost and um i explained to him that she wasn't for sale and at that point i i was afraid some of the soldiers that were standing around us um i was afraid for my life i I, when i picked her up and we walked out. I was expecting to be shot in the back. And, uh, you know, I, I, at that point I knew, um, and it gets a lot scarier than that. I won't go into detail yeah. on it, but I, at that point I knew that if she followed in my footsteps, she would end up raped, dead, murdered, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And that, that wasn't a life that I wanted for her. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point I knew right away that I was like, I have to change my life to change it for her because she's, she likes me. She loves me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the drugs just had to go and that lifestyle had to go. And, uh, you oh, know, that- yes. Thank you for sharing that. It's, it's, um, when we talk with women, a lot of the time, um, children save our lives. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And they're like, my kids actually are the reason why I stopped this lifestyle. Or my kids told me, mom, you can do it. You can do it. So to hear that your wife, your now wife, even though you were both in the lifestyle or the lifestyle brought y'all together, mm-hmm. you still put her first to help you get out. Oh, absolutely. My wife and children come first before <laughs> everything I do. Everything yeah. I do, I do for them. I'm only alive for them. Yeah. You know, my my wife and children are the reason why I'm still alive and still uh, able to sit here and have this podcast with you. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed every single day and every single night I pray to God and just tell him thank you for my wife and children. Because the day my wife, my wife came to me with uh, a pregnancy test and told me I had swimmers. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, that was the scariest moment of my life, you know, and um, I just uh, I knew right away. I was like, we can never, you know, we have to live a normal life. I want these kids to have better than I had. Mm-hmm. I grew up being abused sexually, physically, mentally. Um, I mean, if if it could happen to somebody, it did uh, to me. Um, and it, it just, uh, every day that I live, I live for them. So, yeah. Do you think a lot of men are like that? Do you think, do you think that society's today's man, the wife and the kids is his priority? No. What do you think is your priority? You want to know, I, I, I watch, I'm, I'm an analyzer Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of men that are in love with money and sex, you know, um, a lot of men are all, that's why you have such a large cheating amount in people today is because men are only interested in, in sex or, or, or money or, you know, uh, that creates gambling problems, that creates all these different issues. Um, I think that finding a man that is like me is rare because I don't know any. Um, I, I, I wish there was more like me. If, if there was, man, the world would be a different place. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm not tooting my own horn, but yeah, there, are some, there are some out there. It's just that I don't know any. And most everybody that I know they're all into money and making money and they don't really care. I mean, yeah, they support the rights and kids, but they don't make it a priority like I do. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't, for example, I don't even watch TV in my house uh, unless me and my wife sit down to watch a movie on Netflix. Um, I don't turn the TV on. Um, I can't say I've watched TV in 10 years because I just don't watch it. I'd rather spend time with my wife or my kids or, you know, if, if they're busy doing something, I'll, I'll look around on social media a little bit and, and play with that. But I don't sit and watch the garbage on TV because I'd rather be doing stuff for my family. Yeah. Hi, Christine Barr here, and I am so elated to bring you this new thing to our podcast platform, and it's called Small Business Sponsorship. So how does it work? Are you a small business that wants to reach others with your products, your services, or retail? Well, I'm pleased to offer Small Business Sponsorship where I can now give you the platform as a small business for a small fee. Give me the details about your business, 
So are you local? Are you black owned? Are you eco-friendly? Made in the USA? Are you woman owned? Maybe you're even organic. Whatever sets you apart from the others, let me use my platform to help you advertise. Again, this is the small business sponsorship where you can connect with others on your business. Um, do you think that money, money and sex, and I know that you're not general, like I know you're saying majority, you're not saying all, I want to clarify that for whoever's listening, that you do not feel like all men are like that, obviously, or you would be like that, <laughs> but do you feel like it's media that is filtering men's brains or do you think it's a generation thing like they just were never taught to put their wife and children first and it was always got to make more money you know the ladies are okay to you know filter through what do you think makes men's heads not be a priority for men uh, for women and children I think it's been a social change um you know growing up in a house like I did my dad worked and my mom's job was to stay home and raise the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I've lived two different styles. I, I grew up very poor with food stamps and stuff like that. And then now keep in mind, my dad was military. Um, but then we had an incident in family where my dad uh, was in a head-on collision with an 18-wheeler owned by Amos Candy and uh, um, became paralyzed and uh, uh, had some serious medical issues all the way till he died in 2017. Um, and they, they came up with a lot of money. So I've had a lot of money. I mean, I bought brand new cars every weekend, you know, just, uh, just being stupid with money. So I've seen both sides. And uh, there's a lot of people that haven't. And um, once they get a taste of money, that's what consumes them. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me don't get me wrong. I've had money. And trust me, I would rather have money. That's why I'm going to school to do the stuff that I'm doing um, than to live the life that I live, you know, now i mean i live in 1100 square foot house you know i'm used to living in 3000 square foot and bigger and um so um i in in the sex thing you know when it comes to i think that goes back to how a person is raised um if this goes for men and women both if they're abused as young children um and in a young ages then they become um they think that that is normal. Like for me, example, I, I lost my virginity at 10 to a 16 year old babysitter. Um, she taught me things that I didn't need to know at 10 years old. Um, now that has consumed my whole life. Am I very sexual? Yes. Do I want it every single day? Yes. Do I get it every day? No, but it's still a drive. Um, and, and it's, it's established in my brain that that's normal. And I know it's not. Um, so I think it really goes back to how the people live their life and how they um, distinguish a norm, I guess. I don't know if I'm rambling or answering. No, no, question. no. You're making sense. You're making sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to ask a question about that incident, was it one time or was it continuous? With the babysitter? Yeah. Oh, it's all the time. I mean, for a year and a half. I mean, yeah. it just, yeah. I mean, not every day, but pretty close to every day. 
I mean, uh, I'm, I'm going to be a little explicit here, but at 11 years old, I was, well, 10 years old, I was fisting her and she yeah. was 16. Here's the thing that's scary is what happened to a girl at 16 years old that would let her do that and with a 10 year old boy? You know what I mean? I mean, actually, I was nine, 10, and just about 11 when we moved away. But what happened to her? That's what's, that's what's something in her life was happening to her to make her do that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's, it wasn't just me, but there was two people affected in this. And it's scary to think where she's at in life if she's even still alive. Right, right. And uh, did you ever tell anyone? Did you feel like you were being abused? Because you said you thought it was a normal, but did you ever tell anyone like this is happening? Did you tell your buddies nope. you got a 16 year old nope. girl? No, nope. Uh, it felt good yeah. and I liked it and I didn't want it to stop. Okay. That's so as a young child, um, that's how I managed to see that other stuff that I talked to you on the side yeah. um, is because of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So. Do you think that she, obviously she was able to manipulate the brain to think, because she's older, obviously, mm-hmm. right? But what were tactics that she would use in order for her to, like, was it a word that she said? What, how was it introduced to you? Do you remember? I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. We, we were at the house and she's like, hey, I'll show you if you'll show me. And I was like, show me what? She goes, I want to see what's down there. And I was like, oh, and I stood there and she unbuttoned my pants and pulled them down. And, mm-hmm. and then she showed me hers. And my first question is, why do you have hair down there? <laughs> that yeah, right. right. <laughs> but, That's a nine-year-old question. Yeah. And that was that I remember like it was yesterday. And uh, that was that was how I was introduced to it. That fast. Well, it was just like that. Do you it think your parents would have believed you if you told them? truthfully i was afraid to tell my dad anything because of the beatings and i was i I was scared of my dad and i hated my dad from a very young age Mm -hmm. so i was afraid of him so i wouldn't and there was things that happened in my life that i never said to anybody because i was afraid he would find out okay okay um (coughs) so was your brother the one that passed away was he older than you or younger than you 15 years older okay oh wow yeah Oh, so you were like on the second half yeah. of life. Okay. Okay. Yes. My, my brother, and this isn't something discussed in our very family very often. My brother and my oldest sister were actually from a separate father. Um, but my dad adopted them both when I think my sister Jennifer was three and my brother was five or something like that. And then he raised them. And then my mom ended up uh, he wanted children, biological children, and that's when he had my other sister and myself. Okay, so you're the baby. I am the baby. Okay, okay. Did any of your brothers and sisters try to protect you through any of it, or say, "Hey, John, don't do that. You know, you're gonna make Dad mad. Like, let's not talk about it." Or was it kind of like you're on your own? We went through it. Now you have to go through it. So, by time the abuse and stuff had started. My brother was already in the Marine Corps and uh, my sister was already trying to establish a lifestyle of her own so that she could um, take over um, raising her son, my nephew. And um, so the only one that was there was my other sister. And uh, I recall many times of her trying to intervene because she's two years older than me, trying to intervene between my dad beating me and uh, he would turn on her and beat her too. So I, 
and it was vice versa. We were always trying to protect each other, but okay. it didn't, it, we knew if we jumped in, we were going to get hit too. Yeah. And it wasn't just one belt whip. It was, I mean, I remember one time I lost count of like 10, you know, my dad would come in the door and he'd rip his belt out of his belt loops. And I remember it, the sound clearly. And I'd run for the bathroom trying to get to or lock the bathroom door yeah. and he'd always catch me before, but it didn't matter what we did. Okay. You know, we, be my next question, what set him off, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Yeah. If he, if he had a bad day at work or whatever, um, you know, I could do like, for instance, if I scrape, if I stab the butter when we're sitting there eating dinner, if I stab the butter instead of scraping it smooth, he would, if he had a fork or knife in his hand, he would stab us in the hand with it. Um, like literally draw blood. And, uh, you know, uh, we just were, you know, it's, it, it's scary to think there's people out there that are still, <coughs> still go through stuff like this. And, and yeah. it still happens today. Um, hopefully whoever this is happening to can get past this and say something because it will, it will affect the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and your mother, where was she in this picture? My mother, she, I love my mama. She would, she always tried to protect us. Um, but she also feared him. See, the first husband, um, was abusive too. And he actually, beat her tried to kill her and put her in the hospital and uh that's actually where she was in the hospital uh recovering from a beating from her first husband when she met my dad he'd come in with a gunshot wound and um anyways that's that's how that happened but she was afraid to always intervene i think because i think she was afraid of what would happen to her yeah so she had that fear of being beat too yeah so it was just a house ruled by fear yeah oh absolutely yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing that because I, I, I think that I come from an abusive relationship with my ex-husband and one of the hardest things for me to hear now that I'm out of it is when someone says, well, why didn't you just leave? And uh, they don't understand the whole, or if, if my husband did that to me, I would tell my mom and this would happen and she would never let that to happen. It's like, you don't understand the psychology of where you are when you're in it mm -hmm. and how fast or how slow it will move before you know how bad it is. I, I have to consciously every day, whenever my kids do something and I have three, I have a, a three-year-old, a five-year-old and a, my son turns 12 today, his birthday's Aww. today. Um, so I have to, and this is how it's affected me. I have to consciously, every time my kids do something, think to myself, what would my dad do? And then I do the opposite. Mm -hmm. um, so it's affected me to where it's an everyday struggle in my life to where I think about how would dad do this? What would I do? You know? Yeah. Sorry, my allergies are starting to bother no, me. Everybody's is. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for giving a tip on how you deal with it and mentally taking a pause and being like, what can I do different? Have you always been like that? Or did you ever catch yourself parenting oh. like your father? Oh, I catch myself occasionally. I still do it. You know, like I, I have a fast temper and I yeah. snap and then I have to take a step back and I say, okay, uh, what I just did was wrong. I need to go talk to him or talk to her and explain, you know, now, whenever I discipline one of my kids, if I spank them, 
I don't just whoop their butt over and over again. Like I might spank them, smack them once or twice on the butt. Um, and then I sit down and I explain to them what they did wrong, why they got their whooping that they did and what not to do next time. Yeah. And that's guidance with it. Yeah. 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 Um, so you're married, you have three amazing, beautiful kids. You guys are very active in the community. Do you have a problem balancing fatherhood, a job and going to school? Like, how do you balance all of that? So I was actually laid off in November okay. and I go to school under a TRA program, which pays for my schooling. So I'm only focused on being dad, husband at school. Um, it pays my, it pays me a certain amount of money every month to go to school full-time. Um, as long as I uh, maintain great grades and then, um, so I don't have to worry about the job situation at this point because of the fact that I'm a full-time student. Um, but judge juggling school and kids, um, it's, it's, it's a job. You know, this semester I took on five, five classes instead of my normal four thinking I'd jump ahead and it's, it's not, um, not the wisest decision next, next semester before again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, do you make yourself a schedule? Do you, do you rely on your wife to help you out or like how you said it's a struggle? Like what is the struggle of having school and parenting and being a husband? Um, so trying to be there to do stuff with the wife and kids um, and then still get my schooling and stuff done. Um, you know, there's times when she's asleep, I might grab the computer at one o'clock in the morning, lay on the bed and read some stuff or study some at between one and three o'clock in the morning. And then I turn it off and then I'm back up at between seven and nine o'clock in the morning again. And uh, it's just, it's just, a, it's just, a struggle to make time for everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, does your wife work? Does she have a secular job? So she got laid off in uh, the end of August also. Her company was Pier 1 Imports. Uh, oh, and okay, yeah. They, they went bankrupt and closed yeah. down. Um, now she still works two other jobs. Um, and... Uh, uh, both those are part-time, but she still works both those. She just walked in from one of them, matter of fact, uh, when she jumped in the shower. Um, other than that, um, she she helps me. She does. Uh, sometimes I'm struggling with school, and she'll come in here and sit down, and uh, I, I utilize her brain as much as I utilize my own. Yeah. It's, it's a teamwork thing, and it really is. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you the question, what pressures do you have as a husband? that women probably would not know that men have like what I guess that's not necessarily the way I want to ask it what are pressures that men go through that women don't realize or we take advantage of or take for granted that's the word what are some what are some things oh and hold a second before you answer that yay for your wife like she's killing it okay I just want you to know that I'm gonna give her like claps she get praise hands (laughs) <laughs> yes girl you're killing it you support your man girl <laughs> okay so sorry so what are some struggles that men go through that you think that women don't realize or we do take for granted I think that men 
well, I can only speak for myself here. Right. Some of the struggles that I, I deal with is financial. Um, how to provide a life that is better than I had growing up. How do I provide a life to where my wife doesn't have to worry? Mm-hmm. How do I provide a life that my children are taken care of that won't go through the things that I went through? Mm-hmm. Um, that those, those are the struggles I deal with on a daily basis is how do I do better? How do I, um, um, provide a life for my wife to where she doesn't want to go out and find something better? Yeah. You know, how, how do I provide a life for my children to where they don't deal with depression and suicidal tendencies like I had, yeah. you know, those are, those are real topics that I think about on a daily basis. Yeah. Do you think a lot of men struggle with that? Yeah, I do. I really do. You do. think it's their personal, what they feel like is a balance of, yeah, I'm doing great. Or do you think it's keeping up with the Joneses? They don't want to be lacking or less than another person and the hunter-gatherer kind of mentality. I think every man pays attention to the Joneses. You know, because we're men naturally are competitive. Mm. And uh, when other people around you have big fancy houses and fancy cars, it makes you want to have those things too. And it gives, for me, it gives me a drive to um, want that for my wife and kids too. I don't want to be the poor family in the neighborhood. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think that your family feel like they are lacking? Or do you think that's a story that you tell yourself? You know, I talk to my wife about that sometimes and she's content she's happy uh, where we're at um or at least she says she is um <laughs> and and my kids you know um I spoil my kids if I have money um that I've had I spend it on my wife and my kids I don't really blow money on myself and do the things and you know growing up I always had expensive stuff right. and race cars and drag boats and motorcycles and just crazy stuff I don't, I don't do that stuff now because it's expensive and I'd rather spend my money on my wife and my kids. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you, we touched on the friends situation. So if you were to make a friend, do you look for morals or characteristics? Morals. Why? Because your, your morals makes a person, you know, where's your heart at? What, what defines you as a person? Um, I mean, I can, I can look at somebody, you know, I, I, I know people right now in this community that are good hearted men, you know, that, um, uh, morally they're great people. Um, do they have, um, some bad tendencies? Yes, but that's everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but it does. Um, it, I like to use the example of they won't cheat, they won't lie, but they'll never text you back. They smack when they eat and they are a bad driver. Like, are you okay with, you know, a bad driver person? But yet sometimes they tell white lies, like the morals versus those characteristics of someone. But I think you answered it beautifully. I don't think I've had that answer yet. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So moving on. La, um, la, the thing that I wanted to ask you was stereotypes. Do you fit your stereotype? 
and media of what media perceives of you or the community perceives as your stereotype? I don't know how to answer that because I don't even know what category I'd fit in. You know, um, there's a few people in this community that know my history. Um, and then there's some, that, oh, a bunch that don't. Um, some people will always still look at me as that same person I used to be from the early 2000s. And I've been, I've been called that just at the gas pump not long ago, you know, and, uh, you know, it, I think it, I don't know how to answer that question. Okay. I, don't. I will, I will say this in my, in my opinion, you're a white guy with the beard, with the raspy voice. In my head, I would see you and I'd be like, biker. But my husband also works for Harley Davidson. So like oh. all of them look like you. And I'm not saying that as yeah. a put down, but I would just see, I'm like, oh, he probably has a Harley. Like that's um, automatically my stereotype nope. of you. But that's picture, that's it. Obviously we've been talking for a while. I know that's not who you are. I know, but you know, there's nothing wrong with being a biker for whoever's listening. Obviously. I drive, I, I buy my wife a new car every three to four years and yeah. uh, I drive old stuff just because yeah. it, it I, I'd rather my wife and kids be in new stuff. So, yeah. I mean, Do I just, you yeah. you have the stereotype of the normal white male? Um, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I, you ever thought of it? I haven't really ever put any thought to it. <laughs> what 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 image do I portray? You know, I don't I don't really think uh, about that. So. It's whatever you see in media. Like, um, okay, I'll give you an example. I've even talked about this on my on my podcast. Is um I am a black female, my husband is a white male. Either he has to be super ghetto or I need to be super white, right? Or I need right. to be uppity or it needs to be vice versa or whatever it may be. That's the stereotype of what I see of my life on TV. So when people oh. see me, they automatically think that that's what our relationship is and it's not that at all, right? But I just wonder, like, have you ever seen yourself on TV and you're like, that person kind of lives the same life? as I do but we're totally nope. different no nope. you've never seen it like that I don't really watch tv oh yeah I, uh, you said you don't watch tv man you know, I, uh, that's not a good you know, question for you I, I live I live life pretty simple yeah. if you like me for who I am great we could be friends if you don't kiss my ass right. that's it I'm sorry yeah. I should have said that but no I, I told you I'm explicit You're you know I mean I just uh I don't really care what people think you know, I'm, I'm me and I do me every single day and I, I do the best I can do for where I'm at in, in this particular day. Yeah. And uh, is, is there people like me? Um, maybe, you know, I'm, most of my, most of, I don't have friends, but most of my acquaintances that I know, um, all of them drink except me, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just not, I don't fit the bubble. And yeah. I think that's, a, I think that's a lot of the reasons why I don't have friends is because I don't fit in. I'm not the typical stereotype. Um, I don't go to parties and I, when they are having a drinking binge and a bonfire, I don't go because I don't drink, you know? Right. So right. that's, I don't know. That, that was, no, you answered perfectly. I, I, I love that answer. Um, so there's a movement going on, right. With women in their bodies and, you know, they're showing natural women, you know, in either commercials or on social media or any media platform, natural women are like in. 
do you have you always been into that or are you like what they were putting out before in the 90s where you thin was in is not what men were about were you in that mindset what were you no you, you know I, I look at i look at life be you you know be happy with you i tell my wife my wife will wear makeup right and I tell her all the time she's beautiful without makeup. She doesn't have to wear garbage on her face to look good. No hey, woman. Hey, it's not garbage. I don't mean it like you know what I mean. <laughs> I mean, a woman, a woman yeah. is naturally each woman is different. I mean, you're I'm looking at you online, you're a beautiful woman too. And I can't tell no. if you have makeup on or not because it, to me it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, it it I don't look at that. I look at now, don't get me wrong, when I see a sexy woman, I'm looking at her body, I'm, I'm <laughs> I'm just like any other guy right but um a, a woman I like a woman with curves just as much as I like one that's thin as a pole you know I I don't I I don't know I just love you don't women, think it so. matters no be I think the woman should be I don't look at that you know I, my wife is four nine and 85 pounds okay mm -hmm. I'm six two two seventy yeah you know so I don't I mean I've 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 seen some good looking big girls. Ooh, girl, <laughs> let me tell yes, you. Yes, John. Yes. You yes. Know? And uh, <laughs> you know, I see some little bitty girls that are like my wife. And I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> you know? So. Oh my god, I fucking love it. Yes, <laughs> that was that. That made my day. That made my day. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Oh, are you ready for your Spitfire questions? Sure. All right. Um, who's your role model? Say that one more time. Who's your role model? Oh man. Um, my son. Mm, my great. the one that turned twelve today. Aww. And here's why I say that. He is smart. He is loving. That boy has a heart of gold, wow. and he always he is honest and. Even if he knows he's going to do something that's going to get him in trouble, he'll come and tell me and he'll, and we'll sit down and be like, okay, this is, I appreciate your honesty. This is what happens. This is why, you know, and it just to his openness, um, that he's going to be a good man and he's going to be a good catch when he gets old enough for somebody, you know, I, I feel like that I'm doing right by him, but he is my role model also. Um, if I could live life as simple as he does, you know, he's a little like my wife and he gets bullied in school and he deals with it. And I mean, he called me just the other day from school crying on the bleachers because kids in football pick on him and hit on him and stuff. And, uh, you know, he comes home and we talk about it and his outlook on life is just, I wish I could be more like him in that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. So are you spiritual or religious? So I'm going to say both. And here's why I say that. So I believe in God and I believe I'm on this planet for a reason. I do. Um, but I believe that religion is man-made. I believe that we all have one God and one savior, right? Um, do have I double dabbled in a little bit of each religion? Yes. Do I agree? Every religion is correct. No. Um, so how that would define me, I don't know, but I do believe in a higher power. And I believe in God and I believe in Jesus. So um, how how that ties into a religion, I don't know. I would be a slash 
Baptist, Methodist, slash Catholic, slash. <laughs> okay, yeah, I like that. I like that answer. Are you a taker or a giver in the bedroom? Oh, girl, I want both. Okay. She got to get she got to get hers before I get mine. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, What's your favorite color? Blue. What's your favorite book? Um, heaven is real. Heaven for real. Are you a saver or a spender? Oh, I spend. Are yeah. you a Democrat or a Republican? Um, I'm going to say Democrat. Or no, no, I'm going to say Republican. I have a couple things on the Democrat thing that I like, but most most of it I don't. I'm more Republican, absolutely. Republican. Um, yeah. Are you a good boy or a bad boy? Ooh, both. Are both. you a maker, breaker, or follower? Um... Ooh, that's a hard question to answer because I do all the above. <laughs> okay. What's your natural hair color? Brown. All right. Salsa, being a given, guac or queso? Ooh. I like both. And when we go out to eat, sometimes we mix it up. Sometimes it's guac and sometimes it's queso. Ooh, okay. Um, it depends on where I'm at. If the guacamole is good, I want to chow down. If it's not, uh, give me the guacamole, girl. Yeah, okay, sounds good. If you got a million dollars today, what are the top three things you would do with it? I would pay off my wife's car, pay off her house, and buy me a new truck. What is your love language? Um, I'm going to say <sighs> since touch. I like touch. Biggest fear? leaving my family alone when I die plastic surgery do you have any or would you ever get any um I've had a lot of surgeries um I've had a gastric sleeve so I could lose weight um nothing plastic on my face no but would I do when my belly's gone would I do a tummy tuck and cut all the excess skin off absolutely all right and is there anything you want to say to the listener that we have not covered yet Yes. If there's something going on in your life or somebody else's life and you see it and you know it's wrong and there's something that you can do, do it. Change that person's life. I have lived my whole life. Hold on a second. Peyton, go out with that, please. Sorry, my daughter's playing on her tablet. Um, change that person's life. And um, it could change somebody's life and it could save somebody's life. I... Um, Every time in my life that I have never said something, it has always turned out worse for the person or for myself. So would I go back and change things and start talking and saying things? Absolutely. Um, it, you could change somebody's life if you just say something. That's it. All right. John did so well, very articulate, letting us know what is going on, how he feels, what he feels. I am so grateful for his honesty and being able to relate stories of his past. But at the same time, there was a lot to learn from this. I love the point at the very beginning of 
our conversation of him saying, if the person is not ready, then they're not ready. There's nothing we can do about that. And we just have to have patience and support them and love them through the series of where they are. Um, There's so many points I want to bring out. (laughs) Um, I love the way he speaks about his wife and his children. And um, can we give like some snaps to his wife? Like, okay, she is killing it. I didn't get to speak with her. Uh, She was present during the time that we were recording this, but she's killing it too. And I hope that she realizes that we are supporting her at the same time as we are supporting John. And I love their story. His perspective on the Mel, the Mel point of view is different than some. I understand that. But I also respect his view because he's honest about it and he's not wrong right? There are so many things out there that are over-sexualizing men to the point where they feel like they need to be over-sexualized and causes issues that are now generational. And just like with Rick talking about, we need to have that that open conversation that we are helping our husbands, our brothers, our sons, our nephews, our cousins to find a way to be able to express themselves and to be able to speak freely and have a group of people to love on them and he definitely definitely is doing that and I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm just trying to articulate this correctly. I love the part where he said, I need to learn and I'm trying daily to be able to treat my children with love and respect the way I wanted to so that I am not treating them like my father. That is a cycle breaker, Right. We always hear, well, my father was like that. And then my father was like that. Or that was just how I was raised, you know. But for him to recognize that that was not okay. And that I need to be able to do better for my kids so they know what it's like to be loved by their father. Is by far, hands down, (laughs) bomb.com. I'm loving to be able to hear him express that and know that it's not okay and I'm going to be different. There were so many good nuggets in here, um, but the biggest one I really want to say that I personally picked away, um, picked up and hold close to my heart is talking with your children and giving them a safe space to be able to express themselves and if there's something wrong in order for them to be able to talk to you and feel comfortable with that. It's not school, it's not sports, it's not any of their clubs and their friends. You are their advocate as a parent and if they have a safe space for you to be able to open up and them to be able to open up to have an honest conversation with your children so you know what's going on, you could really support them and giving them a place to tell you if something has happened to them that they did not feel safe or if they needed help in 
in an area that is um, very, very hard to deal with. And that, you, you know, you can carry guilt with that if you don't as a parent. I want to thank John for coming on the podcast and speaking with us. If you would like to see a picture of John and his beautiful wife, you can go to our Facebook group, You Gotta Meet Her Podcast, and we'll be holding discussions there as well. We have good things over there, so please go check it out. Um, We are going to have another Mel on our next episode. I believe you're going to really like him. Um, I've known him for many years and I really enjoyed recording with him because he is very clear. Definitely a different point of view from our last two episodes that we've been talking with men. I hope that you got something from this podcast today. I am Christine Barr and I'm signing off and I will see you on the next one.